Hi there, and welcome to The Creative Endeavor, the podcast bringing you inspiring stories from creative professionals from around the world. The more I look out there, the more I'm just blown away with how many young up-and-coming artists there are and how many young people are dominating within the professional art space. It's fantastic to see so many people deriving an income from their creative practice. And I think these stories give us all permission to live bigger dreams. My guest this week is no exception. She's amassed a following on YouTube of more than 470,000 subscribers who enjoy her realist painting techniques in the detailed tutorials that she brings out regularly. She has over 90,000 followers on Instagram. And it's no wonder she produces some exquisite work. I'm of course talking about Lena Danya. Lena and I had a great conversation ranging in topics from her history and background and how she got started to how she approaches social media and how she runs her business as an artist to sustain her creative production. Now, I really enjoyed this chat with Lena. I hope you will too. Without further ado, this is The Creative Endeavor. Lena Danya, very nice to meet you. Um, Thanks you as well. Let's just kick things off here and maybe tell us a little bit about your story, about your art, and about your journey so far. Sure. Um, well, I'm a self-taught painter, and I've pretty much been making art my whole life. It was something I was interested in ever since I was a toddler. I was drawing on walls, drawing on everything I could get my hands on, pretty much. And that's just always stuck with me. I was always the artist in my class that I always had a very deep interest in art. And um, my mom and I immigrated to the United States when I was six years old from Ukraine. And we moved to Brooklyn, New York. And uh, just the stress of immigrating to a country where you don't speak the language was pretty intense, but um, art was definitely a, a way of coping. And so I fell even more in love with art at that point because I didn't have many friends. And this was a way that I could communicate with kids and kind of, you know, maybe gain their interest and make friends as I'm learning English. Um, my mom got me this big art book, this, this big fat book of you know, arts and crafts and some fine art things. And I remember just reading through the pages there and being fascinated by the art and trying to replicate it. And so I had a lot of practice already doing realistic stuff at a very young age, probably seven or eight years old. And I was making these landscapes. I found Bob Ross on TV and <laughs> became intrigued by <laughs> painting landscapes and watched a lot of him. And once we got a computer, that's when a whole nother side of things uh, happened because I, I realized I could connect with people and, you know, raised by a single mom in, in Brooklyn, New York. It, I was actually pretty lonely as a kid. So it was nice to be able to go online and read about things and learn about things. It's just this plethora of information that I had access to. And although social media didn't really exist back then in the 90s, I think, <laughs> late 90s. No, um, not at all. Yeah. Eventually, um, as it started to form, I began posting my work on a website called DeviantArt at the time, and it was mm -hmm. photography. Um, I was on some kids' sites with art competitions, and I would make art for that. And I, I was just really interested in posting my work online. And so with over time, I guess in the like mid-2000s, I started to realize that there were people online who posted their work and had followings and were kind of making a name for themselves. And this is the first time when I realized that maybe this was in fact possible to have, um, you know, an art career and make a living off of it. It was still a, um, a crazy idea because everybody at that point decided that 
I shouldn't be an artist because wow. I mean, if you tell your family that you want to be an artist, it's kind of like, Oh, maybe you should go be a doctor or like a teacher or, you know, a nurse, you know, something sensible. Mm. And so, um, I was just kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do, even though I already knew what that was. And YouTube came around and I suddenly I found this new platform. At the time, it was just people on their webcams and people uploading anime videos illegally. So that's what I watched. But um, I noticed something completely different that I had not ever seen before. And it was real people sharing real stories and making videos just of their lives. And that was very intriguing to me because you had control over the content you could watch. You yourself could choose to upload content. And it wasn't like the old paradigm, whereas you had to rely on media to do that for you. Yeah, yeah. And um, at the time, I guess I was scared to upload videos, but somehow I gained the courage. <laughs> and in 2010, I created a YouTube channel. And I just kind of started drawing portraits of various people, whether it was YouTubers or just celebrities. I was just kind of contributing stuff to the community at the time. I wasn't really taking it very seriously. It was just a fun hobby. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I started to share more of my art and my paintings and things kind of took off and people started to find me. Yeah. And people started asking me if I'm selling any of my paintings. And I wasn't at the time, but I made them available, which at the time was on eBay. I would run a public auction and just see what happens. <laughs> and I ended up selling my very first paintings that way. Um, yeah. And over time, my following just grew and more and more people became interested in my art. I became a YouTube partner. So I started earning revenue on my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Um, and throughout that time early on, I was in college for an undecided major. I was just figuring out what I wanted to do with my life, even though I already knew, I just didn't really believe I could do it. Yeah. And I was also working as a, a waitress and a bartender. Um, pretty much, pretty much full time. <laughs> so yeah. whenever I had the free time to come home and, uh, make art, make videos, that's what I would do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess 2013, mid 2013 is when it got to the point where I no longer needed that job anymore. I was able to sustain myself full time off of my art and just paint and make videos and, Brilliant. That's, that's kind of a brief summary. <laughs> Brilliant. So five years you've been, uh, if I, if my math is right, math is not the yeah. strong suit, you've been a full-time mm -hmm. artist. So congratulations. Yeah. I mean, that's that's Thank a wonderful you. thing. I mean, I, I think I, I there's a couple of things there that I, I'd love to go back to because, and this is, sure. this is one of the joys for me in, in, in with this podcast is having the chance to connect with people because I, I see so many similarities between my story and and other people's stories you know like yourself and for me there's this realization that my upbringing or my my past or my childhood is not entirely unique that there are other people out there who are going through similar things and so personally mm -hmm. i find that to be really cool because it's like oh i'm not alone in the world this is awesome um yeah but uh you know that we I, I will have a few you know younger people um that are going to be listening to this, uh, whether they find themselves in primary school or high school, um, or you know, just going into college or just coming out, who are kind of feeling like they want to move into art, and they're feeling like they don't really have that as as an option that is available to them, and maybe they're not familiar with the strategies or the ways in which they can derive an income from that. But before we get into that, what I'd love to touch on a little bit more is you said something about, you know, school teachers and, you know, being in school. So if you can, if you can take us back to that time when you were in school and, and you were, you know, you, you were expressing an interest and in showing real promise with your artwork, and then even having this interaction from people when you would express that you wanted to be an artist, what was that like for you? Because I, I personally felt that resistance from so many different people saying I couldn't do it. And for me, because I naturally had a bad attitude and was a little bit of a fighter, I'd just be like, well, you watch me, I'm doing it, you know? And, and I, I used to love it almost and get addicted to people telling me no. Um, what was it like for you? It was, it was actually very similar. 
I have that reverse psychology mindset I, oftentimes that effect when people are saying, oh, you can't do this. And I'm very much like, I'm going to prove you wrong. You just watch. <laughs> I guess when you're, when you're little, you don't really, you're not taken seriously because you're a kid. So that was an issue for a while. Um, I mean, my mom was always very supportive of my art. She always was very kind and gentle in, in the way she approached it with me. So that was really great because I never felt unsafe to share my work. She never, like, stabbed me in the heart with harsh criticism. She was always very nice about it. You know, she helped me improve. Um, teachers, I would say, were actually quite similar as far as that goes. Um, for the most part, I've had a overall positive response uh, in school towards my, my physical work. But when it came to me saying that, oh, I want to be an artist when I grow up, because that's what I would answer <laughs> when people ask me that question. Um, when, I, when I was really young, people, teachers specifically, would say, oh, okay, that's nice. But as I got older, I feel like that resistance grew and people started to say, well, maybe you should consider something a little bit more sensible, something more reliable yeah. with a guarantee of financial yeah. stability. Um, so it is harsh. I mean, I remember first grade, uh, my art teacher was telling everyone that nowadays artists don't really make money and don't become successful until wow. they die, until they become famous. They only become famous when they die. And I remember hearing that as a child and I was so heartbroken. Yeah. Like that can't be right. That yeah. can't be true. This is my art teacher. Well, it's <laughs> not true. Know. I mean, it's not. It's not. True. Yeah. Um, but I I still hear that all the time as well. Like, mm -hmm. uh, like, oh, you know, your art's going to be very valuable when you die. I'm like, well, how about right now? Like, why can't it be right. valuable right now? But I the, the thing is, and this is why I love, you know, personal development personally, um, where, you know, like when I listen to Tony Robbins, for instance, uh, his big thing is modeling success and finding an example of out uh, of somebody out there who is doing what you would love to be doing. And the, the best way to come up against a naysayer I found is to just go, OK, what you're saying, you, you believe that's all good. But what about like a Thomas Kincaid or, or you know, Robert Bateman or, you know, a Bob Kuhn back in the day when he was painting wildlife or, or some of these American big names of living artists who are doing great work, doing great for the community, but making a solid, fantastic living. And they're vastly fortunate as a result from doing this art. You know, what do those examples say about, you know, the what you're telling me that I'm going to be, you know, well known when I'm dead. Thanks very much. But I, I can see yeah. these guys doing it really, you know, doing a great job, uh, you know, while they're still alive. So, you know, I, my, my advice for anybody out there listening would be just, yeah, find a role model of somebody doing it. And, and again, we have a fantastic model in you, Lena, as somebody who is young, you. who is crushing it at the moment. So again, it's just awesome having an opportunity to talk with you. Um, look, I... It, it's interesting, you know, going into those safe jobs, I, I still get emailed from people, though, as well, um, saying, I, I've got an option A, and I've got an option B. Uh, my, my A plan is to, to go and be a doctor. Uh, and my plan B is to be an artist. Meanwhile, they're messaging me constantly just kind of going, hey, what do I do with this painting? Or how did you make it when you were starting out? And, and you know, various types of advice I'd be asking for. But I, I'm saying, hang on, Wait a second. Why is plan A to be a doctor if you really want to be an artist? So can you tell us a little bit about that struggle with yourself where you were kind of going, I'm going into college, but it's in my mind. I really want to do this, but I'm not. Were you did, was there a disconnect there? Was there a lack of courage at the time? And, and if so, how did you find it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, in high school, I remember sitting in my computer class and I was looking at the this prestigious art school in my area and thinking, oh my gosh, I could never afford this, but I have to do this. Like I want to become an artist. And I remember how heartbreaking it was. And um, I just ultimately ended up deciding that I was going to go to college and, you know, see how it went and, and get a career doing something simple. Like, I mean, it's not simple, but I was thinking of becoming an ultrasound technician Simple. And nice. at the time, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it was reliable. There were jobs available. Yeah. But there was definitely that internal struggle where as I was in school, although I was just taking my prerequisites, it was for a year, I felt like this isn't right for me. You know, I'm not 
there were some classes I was very interested in, but as far as doing something for the rest of my life, I honestly couldn't see anything but art. And at the same time, I had already started my YouTube channel. And, you know, as you said, there were, there was plenty of evidence of successful people. Maybe they weren't painters per se, but they were people, uh, utilizing social media to make a living doing acting, um, music, just YouTube videos. They were independent filmmakers. Uh, so there was so much evidence, even friends I made online that were making a living full time doing something online. And so that, that evidence was enough to convince me at some point that I should stick with it and pursue it and continue doing it. And I get a lot of those same messages where people are in school and they're pressured by their family to pursue something uh, like a more academic path and maybe be a lawyer or a doctor or an architect. And mm -hmm. I get so many messages from distraught kids like, I don't know what to do. My parents don't support me. And yeah. It's so heartbreaking for me to hear because I know how that is. Yeah. I mean, I myself had many disagreements with my own family about it because uh, I come from a very academic family, although there's many creatives in my family. My grandmother was a nurse, my grandfather was a dentist and a military doctor, and my mom was a elementary school teacher. So everybody went and got an education, got degrees and sensible careers. And so I was kind of the oddball that was like, I'm gonna leave school and do art. And so yeah, of yeah. course they were worried about me. But I think if you really are extremely passionate about something and you believe in your heart that this is what you should be doing and you, you know, your work is solid, you're always working on improving, um, it's absolutely possible to make a living and you should absolutely stick with it. Yet at the same time, I, I try to be careful with that advice because I feel like a lot of people have a very romanticized vision of what it would be like to be an artist. Oh. And the truth is there's so <laughs> much work involved that's, you know, yeah. even outside, outside <laughs> of just painting, there's the admin side and the business yeah. side of things. And not only do you have to be an artist and focus on self-improvement and growth with your work, but also maintaining a business and yes. that whole other, <laughs> that fun side of the it's Picture. a beast. I mean, isn't it, isn't it just a, a, an absolute quagmire just trying to kind of navigate your way to, towards, you know, orchestrating a business, running a business, not, not to mention all of the online platforms that you have to juggle Absolutely. and then also maintain that creative expression. I don't know about you, but when I spend my morning either writing, recording, editing or answering emails, when I approach the easel, I'm absolutely shot. Like I, I feel like my brain power has been sapped and I just need to do something for a little while before I can re-engage creatively. Or sometimes I'm just a little bit burned out that it's difficult to paint. When I realized that, I, I, I learned that, okay, I need to get my painting out of the way first and do something creative immediately first. So I get in my eight hours of easel time before I even set up to do the um, the business side of things. And, and I, I'm very fortunate as well because my wife works with me full time on the business as well. So we're a team. So she, awesome. she can help me, you know, and she does a lot of the video editing. I apply the finer tweaks, do audio levels, that kind of thing. But there's also some emails that I'm the only one that could write that from my point of view, you know, to a client. But um, it, it's, it, it's been a bit of a struggle for me to try to find that balance on a daily basis to find the motivation or inspiration or just find the way my brain and body works best to make sure I show up every day. Um, you know, I, I, I do I do reflect that. I mean, a lot of people do have this this romanticized idea that is it is a wonderful, you know, amazing existence to be an artist. And listen, it, I, for, as far as I'm concerned, it's better it than whatever is. Second, <laughs> whatever is second best. However, it's not to say that it's not without its heartbreak, its, its trials. Uh, and, and challenges. Um, how do you on a let's from there? Let, let me ask you, because, again, I just want to throw this question to you. It's something that I get asked often when it comes to the daily grind, when it when it comes to producing your work. Well, do you have a routine or a schedule? How do you ensure that you show up and you you maintain that creative energy throughout your practice? Yes, I, I do actually have a routine. Um, I haven't always. I would just kind of, I mean, when I first started out, I, I went into the day just, I'm going to wing it. And 
that usually results in me being all over the place and not finishing everything effectively. Um, I have a very (laughs) short attention span. It's hard enough for me to concentrate on things. And I need to set deadlines for myself. Uh, Without deadlines, it's very hard for me to get things done. So I have to set little deadlines throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Um, I do keep a schedule. And my normal routine is actually quite the opposite of yours. When I'm When I first wake up, I try to get up early, um, but I struggle with that. (laughs) Um, It takes me a while to get my brain going. And so doing something like packaging print orders where it does not require my creative energy, sometimes I'll typically start with that or answering some emails. If I just get that out of the way the first few hours of the day, um, then by the time I'm done with that, I feel like my creativity is ready to to work for me. (laughs) And, um, I keep these, uh, whiteboards. I have a huge one that I use for my schedule because if I write a schedule down in a notebook and put it away somewhere, that deadline's not going to be staring at me in the face that I'm not, I'm not, I'm just going to forget about it and I'm not going to follow the schedule. So I have a whiteboard, a dry erase board where every day I make a new schedule and follow it in like 30 minute blocks. I think it's from, it's actually a nine to five. (laughs) So even though I'm a self-employed artist, I do try to follow a nine to five and maximize my productivity hours. Um, however, most of the time I work beyond that. Um, not because I, have to sometimes I do but most of the time it's because I want to because I want those extra painting hours and extra whatever it is that I need to do edit a video but yeah usually my day starts off with some type of admin stuff early on from 8 or 9 a.m to maybe lunch around 12 and then beyond that I work on the art the painting the filming Um, and sometimes I'll have days where I don't get to paint at all because I have too much to do on the business side of things, like too many emails to answer. Um, I had a really good month that time. And so I have to package more orders or original paintings than usual. Um, so yeah, it it all just kind of depends on that month because Mm -hmm. the, the tasks do fluctuate, but I would say maybe 50% of my work hours are dedicated to the business side. Sometimes it's even more than that. So, wow. Pretty much half of my work hours consist of painting, whereas wow. I do I do all of my filming, all of my video editing. I photograph my art for my prints. I do all the color proofs of that. So there's I, pre- I do everything, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, sometimes I'll hand someone the camera and ask them, hey, can you film me from this angle? And that's the extent of it. So Wow. So you're you're a you're a one man band. Yes. One, one woman band, beg your pardon, you know what I yes. mean. Wow, that's fantastic. Like, I, I just more power to you, you know, because I thank you. I, it, I I did try to do that, you know, myself, but I, I don't know how I would be able to handle doing every single thing now that that I that I do. I mean, all of this stuff, like including this podcast. I mean, it's all extras, and I just appreciate so much the amount of work, you know, that you, you must be going to, to, to actually make sure that, that people get to see enough of Lena Danya, you know, so whether it's on YouTube or in print or original work, that's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. Thanks um, so much. So how do you, how do you make sure then that you, you don't get burned out, that you stay motivated? Um, <laughs> I still struggle with that to this day, to be honest. And sometimes I do have burnouts. Um, they don't last very long. It's usually for like a week. Um, I try to focus on things that really interest me and art that interests me. I find that it's easy to keep going if it's work that I'm excited to make. Um, I, you know, when I first started out, sometimes I would take a commission that I wasn't as passionate about, but because I needed the money, I had to do it. Um, and I would still put my heart and soul into the work and, and try to create something that the customer would be happy with. And they always were. However, because it's not something that came from me, it's not necessarily my own idea, my own inspiration. Um, I feel like it's a lot easier to get burnt out when you're trying to work really hard for the sake of a financial goal or the sake of, you know, gaining followers or maintaining, maintaining social media. I find that I always burnt out a lot faster when that was the end goal. So for me, the end, the end goal is really just to make art that I'm excited about. And so, Mm -hmm. 
that makes it easier not to burn out. Uh, however, I do have a very extensive video editing process, which I'm currently trying to hire someone to help me out with that on the occasion because it takes a very, very long time. I pretty much cut out every single time my hand leaves the canvas to pick up a color because it's like a blank spot in the footage that it's very, um, I don't know, it's very choppy looking and I like it when it looks smooth and effortless. And so oh, we do the same thing here. Oh yeah. Long time. So there's that, um, which I'm again, trying to find someone to help me out with that. But I mean, I still burn out. I feel like, I don't know if there's a, a magical formula for that. Whenever, if I do find it, I will absolutely try my best <laughs> to put it out there. But I do burn out on the occasion, um, less than before, uh, simply because I try to just focus on, on things that I'm passionate about. You know, what, one of the things that, um, that I find it does help me. Cause I mean, I've got one of these personalities. I get really fixated on an idea and I get really involved in something, whether it's a project, sometimes these projects have legs and they, and they, they, they run for months at a time. But, uh, you know, often, you know, off the back of these things, I, I do experience that burnout as well. But I found in, in recent years, what keeps me with a little bit more of a level or a steady flow of production and avoiding those peaks and troughs is listening to things or learning about things, maybe something inspirational, motivational, and something that's not necessarily art related, but something that might be business related or something in the personal development sphere. Um, do you ever get into anything like that? And if you do, who are some of the people that you really admire, respect and listen to? Absolutely. Um, well, I love to listen to audiobooks when I paint. So a lot of what I do um, in that aspect is usually when I'm painting because it helps me kind of focus on the art and lose myself in the painting more if my brain is occupied by something else at the same time. It's, it's strange. I, I can never paint in silence. It's very rare for, for that to happen. But I mean, I listen to all kinds of things, podcasts about art, um, there's an artist now who's doing a podcast. Um, have you ever heard of Sergio Lopez? I, that I name know. does ring a bell. Yeah, yeah he, a bell. he does really beautiful paintings. Um, so he's doing a podcast now that I recently tuned into and found out about. Um, I love audiobooks. Um, Art and Fear uh, by David Orland and da or Ted Orland and David Bales. <laughs> okay. That one, that's a, it's a very inspiring essay. Uh, basically about artists and their struggles and, and fears at the canvas. Um, but normally it's honestly just a bunch of YouTube videos, whether it's people talking about business. Um, I have listened to Tony Robbins before as well. Mm. And I don't know if there's specific people that I zone in on. I, I just kind of take bits and pieces from everywhere. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm the same. You know, I'll find myself flicking onto YouTube and then just get, sort of sorting out all these tabs, uh, almost a playlist throughout the day. You know, I'll have a little bit of Gary Vaynerchuk in there, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, uh, sometimes yeah. uh, Frank Kern, you know, and, and a few other business things. But then I'll need to listen to something silly or light to kind of get out of the headspace. So I'm listening to a lot of podcasts, yeah. like um, like even the Joe Rogan experience. I, I love listening to that podcast when he's got a comedian on because it's just nothing to do with anything that is heady at all, just to give my brain a break. But I mean, mm -hmm. isn't, isn't it interesting? Like, I, I think our minds must work in very similar ways because I, I cannot work in silence at all. I have to have my mental you know, faculties chewing on something mm -hmm. for the most part or, or listening to something, even if it's loosely, you know, otherwise I find what happens is my brain starts going over to the dark side, you know, the negative voice starts creeping yeah. in and then I start, you know, the, these horrible things that I'm saying to myself, which just kind of really get in the way of my creative production. Do you, do you ever go through anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think, I mean, I, I do believe that we are our harshest critics, but I mean, that, that is true to me. I don't think anybody's ever said anything about my work that's worse than what I've thought about it myself. Yeah. So absolutely, if I'm not occupied or distracted by something, keeping my mind busy as I create art, uh, for sure, things, <laughs> things can go downhill real fast. I, I mean, I try not to beat myself up too much, but it, it tends to happen on the occasion. 
Um, but even music, you know, that, that helps because if it's something that I really like, makes me feel good, then I am able to focus on the art Mm. more easily. And, um, it just makes the process so much better and so much more productive. Uh, I feel like a lot of times, sometimes I have a hard time getting a, a start on my painting because I don't have something to listen to. I don't have material to mm. feed to my brain. Yeah. Um, and then I focus on how scary starting a new painting is, um, <laughs> or just, yeah. So absolutely on board there. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I, I believe that in order to show up to create our best work, um, we, we have to feel good. And we, when we walk into our space, we have to feel engaged, inspired, uplifted in some way. This is why I can't work in mess at all. Like I've got to have some sort of yeah. order and, and precision. Now, other artists are different. Like I've seen some artists, you know, that just work in absolute chaos. I'm like, how do you get anything done? But when I walk into my space, you know, I could see the painting on the on the wall. The brushes are clean. The palette's clean. Mm -hmm. It's ready to go. It's ready for me to just walk up to that canvas yep. and do my thing. And I find that's essential. How how does your space? I mean, because I've noticed from your YouTube videos that you keep things relatively clean and orderly, and 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 you've got everything laid out concisely. How important is it, you know, that your studio space does this for you? Maybe tell us a little bit about you know, how you go about setting up that space so it's conducive to creativity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, environment is so crucial to me. Um, I find that if there's a mess around me, it usually doesn't help the mess that's already in my mind, <laughs> which there's a lot going on up here. So um, just so many thoughts rolling through, so many ideas, and it's, it's very distracting. And so if my environment is chaos and there's stuff all over the place, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to zone in. And if my brushes, like you said, you brush up to be clean. If mine aren't clean, the, the thought of having to clean them before starting a painting is not fun at all. So mm. I will procrastinate. Um, so absolutely. I try to schedule a cleanup into my schedule every day. So once my actual work hours are done for the day, there's my last task is just to clean up and put everything back in place, clean my brushes, um, anything I have on the floor. And I make messes all the time. I think that's just part of the process of creating art can get very messy, especially when I'm packaging orders. Um, my floor is just covered in chaos, but I just I don't leave it like that. I try to clean it up as soon as I'm done with the task because I, I really cannot function in a mess, which I've discovered as I grow older. Um, my home has to be organized and clean, uh, everything. And so the same logic applies to my studio. It's just really good for my overall headspace. Um, it helps me get things done. So yeah, I mean, I, I do like to decorate. I love to have plants all over the place and I love hanging my art in pretty frames. You know, those little tiny details all come together and that's what inspires me to, to work more. But at the same time, I, it can't be overboard because mm -hmm. the, the chaos of clutter will absolutely derail my creative process and cause me to procrastinate. So yeah. I, I do try to, to keep things clean. It, it kind of, I mean, it shatters the myth of the, the chaotic, flaky artist. I mean, uh, because I, I always resented that. I mean, people have got a certain idea of what an artist is like you know we're we're unreliable mm -hmm. we're dysfunctional we're we're not punctual um we're terrible with money we're terrible with time management all of these things and a lot of the people that i'm interviewing now are are anything uh, you know but that i mean they, they they are the absolute opposite of that you know they uh they just find that um you know find their own order and precision and they're disciplined and, and focused. And I, I really, you know, I, I reflect that as well. Cause I, I feel like, you know, as soon as you walk into that space, if there's something that's not right, it's just, you know, you take it on as almost your own mental state. It's like your outside yeah, world absolutely. is a reflection of that internal world. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, and, and uh, I agree with that. I find that, sorry. No, no, good. Um, I, yeah. I do find that when, whenever there's uh, a mess in my mind, usually that will reflect in my environment as well. And so I try to, to maintain that. And I have to say though, I, I really struggle with time management. I have, my sense of time is, is right now. And unless there's a looming deadline with a consequence, 
it's it's hard for me to motivate myself. So I do struggle with it, but I understand the importance of it, and I and I do my best to maintain that discipline and structure because it's so integral to my productivity. Yeah, there's there's a little trick. I can't remember where I heard about this, but there's probably several several people out there that have said it. A little trick, and I do get myself into trouble with this all the time. And if you're subscribed, you know, people listening to this, if you're subscribed through my website, you might might know that I've fallen into my own trap. But I like to make announcements and put pressure on myself publicly. And so I'll say something like, "I've started a podcast, and I'm an, I'm releasing the first episode next week." And then a month later, it's like it's here, <laughs> you know. But yeah. I, I'll put this pressure on myself and sometimes it's not the best thing. But when it comes to dealing with a client, um, what I found recently that what I have to do, I, I tend to want to overpromise things. I try to be as realistic as I can and then give myself a little bit of contingency. The paintings always take so much longer than I than I expect them to, you know. So time management yeah. is a tricky one. But, you know, it, it's difficult when you're doing something that can't be measured, you know, we're talking yeah, about creativity hard. here and we're talking about things that are felt and things that are emotive and you can't really quantify or calculate those things because, um, you know, there's been several times where I've had to repaint something and spend an extra month on it because this version looks better. So I have to do that, you know, but uh, it's, it's a balancing act, isn't it? Look, let, let's get into a, a little bit more of the, the nitty gritty about the the business side and how you derive an income from your art. Uh, you mentioned something about prints, but can you go through mm -hmm. some of the ways in which you make money from this creativity that's pouring out of you? Sure. Um, so I have my YouTube channel, so I gain AdSense revenue off of that. And because my content is very family friendly, I've never had any issues with any sort of demonetization. So I'm thankful for that. Fingers crossed. Um, so that that is one source of income that I rely on. Uh, another one is, of course, my art store where I sell my original paintings and prints of my art. So that is my second source of income. And then my third is my Patreon page where I offer more exclusive content, longer videos, uh, more in-depth look into my process where it's in real time. You can see my palette, you can see the painting all in, at the same time. And I just kind of explain what I'm doing, which colors I'm mixing and why I'm mixing them, where they're going. Just all the, the very intricate details of my process. I try to squeeze in as much as I can there. So those are the three main sources of income that sustain me and keep me alive and <laughs> paying my bills, feeding my cat and paying for my art materials and the business side of things. Um, and occasionally I will take a company sponsorship. So if it's a company that I, I actually really like and it, you know, their product is good, I will accept that. Sometimes they'll send me materials, um, or payment, you know, for a, a promo in a video, for example, one brand that I work with is Gamblin, which they're the number one producer of oil paint in the United States. And they're a brand that I actually fell in love with way before they even knew who I was and used them for a while. I couldn't afford all of their products at the time, but the ones that I did have, I, I really enjoyed and loved. And so I actually reached out to them myself and they wanted to work with me as well. And so, yeah, they sent me some materials and that's one brand I work with just recently. I worked with Strathmore. They make artist papers, um, and it was their new oil painting paper. And that was a product that I also fell in love with and decided to use. And I always make sure that it's something that is good. <laughs> it's a good product and mm -hmm. something I've tested before I go into any contract or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. So it, it is pretty rare for me to take on a sponsorship, and I get requests for that a lot. And very often it has nothing to do with my art. I get emails like, oh, hi, uh, we love what you're doing on your channel. We want to send you some clothes to model. And it's like I, I've never modeled clothes and videos ever in my <laughs> life. I've never done a beauty or fashion video. So I am very selective, even with the art uh, sponsorships that I get requests for. I'm very selective. So that's, mm -hmm. that's not something that I rely on very heavily. It's just an occasional thing. Um, but mostly it's just my YouTube AdSense revenue, my art sales, prints and originals, and my Patreon page. So 
That's fantastic. So if, if somebody was listening to this and they wanted to get into, you know, selling their own artwork, um, you know, they were, they were preparing some art to present to the world. What are some of the things that you would offer to somebody just starting out to, to even be able to, to approach that, that kind of subject? Well, I think using social media is very important these days um, because that's just kind of your your doorway to potentially millions of people if you play your cards right. And it is a very slow and steady growing process, but it can be exponential over time if you're very consistent with it and your work is solid. Um, so I would highly recommend using social media for that. I think investing in uh, printing equipment, if you don't have a client base already ready to buy your work and requesting for it, can be a bit on the pricier side. So I would suggest going to a local print shop and having them make some prints of a painting for you. They'll be able to color proof it and you know make it match the original and, and see if you like the quality of that print. Um, so you can start off doing that and you'll you'll be able to purchase some prints from them um, in like in bulk. So it'll be cheaper. Mm -hmm. But that that's one way to start. Um, you know, there's always Etsy as well. That's kind of an online marketplace mm -hmm. and I guess a form of, it's not really social media, but it, it's an online marketplace. So people can actually find you by searching for art and searching for paintings versus, you know, opening your own domain name. You want to already have an established, um, kind of a following, I suppose. It's always good to have a portfolio regardless of whether you have a following or not. But as far as an art store goes, I, I highly recommend starting on Etsy because that's something you can start up right now. Mm. So that's one option. Um, but social media is crucial, I think. Uh, it has been for me, at least. So, mm. You know, you, you uh, I'm... I'm listening to you and I'm taking this on board for myself as well. You're, you're giving me some, some good ideas here, Lena. Um, but you haven't mentioned, uh, the, the 800 pound gorilla in the room, uh, the dreaded G word. Do you deal with galleries? Uh, yes and no. So tell me, tell I, me about how you, how you go about, I mean, let, tell me about your experience there. Cause I, I'm, I'm very curious about that. Of course. Um, I don't rely on them. So it is something that I do on my own accord. And I started doing gallery shows. I, actually, my very first one was in high school. Um, I don't remember where it was, but my art teacher liked a drawing I made and sent it off to Tampa and they had an art show there and it was in the art show. <laughs> so that was my first experience. Um, when I started doing social media and posting my art online, I did start pursuing galleries and I messaged. I remember finding artists that I really admired at the time and looking at what galleries they were showing with and seeing just the general work that they exhibited, what kind of style they exhibited and finding galleries that kind of reflected what I like to make and so I would email all kinds of galleries throughout the United States. And I remember sending about 40 or 50 emails and only two galleries wanted to work with me. So you know what? Out of those 40, I could have said, oh, man, I got so many doors slammed in my face. I'm, I'm such a bad artist and nobody likes me. You know, I could have taken that route. Yeah. But they were the two galleries that I was very interested in working in more so than the others. So those two actually responded to me and wanted to work with me. And um, I, you know, if, if they reach out to me on the occasion and invite me to participate in a group show, then I do that. Um, it's an occasional thing. It's not something that I focus very heavily on, but it does help me build my CV. It helps you, you know, it helps give you credibility as an artist. Although I, I think it's, I feel like the work itself should be credibility enough. But um, so I have been doing exhibits um, since 2012. I did a juried show early on at the start of it. Um, I didn't win anything, but I got accepted into the exhibit. So that was really nice. That was a local gallery. Um, and at this point I, I haven't reached out to galleries in a while, but I, I do prefer to sell work by myself because I have control over the shipment. I have control over everything yeah. and I get to keep all the funds. Whereas galleries typically take 50% yeah, on average absolutely. and, absolutely. and you know, it's understandable if it's their own collector base, they're providing the sale to you. Uh, 
they're facilitating it. They're providing you a physical space to exhibit your work in a professional setting, a brick and mortar building. They have their own bills to pay. So I understand the need for that 50%. Yes. But luckily, because I am uh, a one woman band, <laughs> I get to, you know, sell my own work. Uh, by myself. So I don't really have to rely on galleries. So yeah, it is an occasional thing that I I dabble in, but not something that I'm focused on very heavily. So for sure. Uh, No, I I totally appreciate that because I I found myself in a a similar way. You know, I I started off by it's so interesting. Maybe we could talk a little bit about this because I know that artists in general are are very sensitive. And so when you make your approach to the gallery, like like I did back in the day, you know, it's a lot like you. I I approached several galleries and then I found that I was rejected by most of them. And my first experience, I was rejected by all of them. (laughs) So Mm. I, that was very tough, but my, my batting average was, was not like that. I, I I approached like probably about five to seven in, in one particular area. And I came back with all my paintings and that was enough rejection for me. Um, and then, you know, I vowed to kind of work on my stuff and then go back and try it again. But, you know, it's, it's interesting what you're saying about, you know, approaching 50 to come back. I don't think many people realize that those are the kinds of numbers that you're realistically dealing with, even with dealing with clients. For me, um, if I have to cold call or cold email, you know, somebody and say, I have this, are you interested? It can be 100 to 1 sometimes. And sometimes a no is not necessarily a no or a door in the face. Maybe they're just not ready at this time. But the Mm -hmm. one thing I think is required as a creative professional is persistence and resilience. You know, you you have to be prepared for that that rejection and not let it destroy you so that you can show up and do it again and again. Um, But no, I mean, it's great that you're now... I mean, and have been for a while doing your own thing. I, I, I much prefer, this is a thing about the gallery. I mean, the gallery can be necessary and some people thrive with that model. Mm-hmm. But for me, I want to look the person in the eyes, shake their hand and just tell them, thank you for purchasing this painting because you allow me to continue to do what I love. And that means everything to me. You know, that means absolutely everything. So I never got that because a gallery would maintain that middle ground and say, you know what, mm-hmm. you two aren't supposed to speak. We're, we're involved here. And, and I, yeah. I, I wouldn't get the names of the people. I wouldn't get the emails or the phone numbers. You know, I, I, I couldn't do that. So I, there's several collectors out there who own my stuff. I have no idea who mm-hmm. they are, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it's just the nature of the beast, I think. <laughs> Yeah, there's that's definitely something I can relate to. Um, I I actually the, some people who purchased my work through the gallery actually reached out to me later on, like years later, and emailed me and asked if uh, for a commission. But there's still a couple people that like I don't know who they are. I mean, I haven't done that many gallery shows, so the amount of work I've sold through galleries versus the amount of work I've sold on my own is very, um, disproportionate leaning to, to me, but, um, yeah, I like being able to write a personal thank you letter when I ship off a print or an original. I like that personal aspect to it that they can reach out directly to me if something goes wrong or if they're happy, you know, we can communicate directly. Mm -hmm. There's that line of communication that it just gets cut off with the gallery. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it is, it, does become a bit more cold and and I do feel that way uh, I guess around galleries in general however there are not all gallery owners are created equal um some gallery owners are very wonderful and so most of the ones that I've worked with have been great Mm -hmm. but again there is that that sense of Mm -hmm. it's it's not very personal you know you don't get to absolutely like I I, what you say is true you know not all galleries are created equal I I had the the great pleasure of dealing with one gallery for a nearly a 12 year run. 
and these people are are like family to me shout out colin and gay um oh that's amazing i i uh i showed with them beautiful couple from zimbabwe showed with them for for 12 years and they would say there's somebody in the gallery right now about to purchase your painting you want to meet them <laughs> you know then i'd i'd go down there and you know we 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 struck this relationship where we understood where each of us you know were mm-hmm. and, and, and the importance of our roles and you know, we, we thrived with that. And, uh, so sometimes you can find people that will work with you on in the, with the terms that you want to work with. But I find that that's very difficult to, to negotiate that position, to find what you're comfortable working with if yeah. you're just starting out. Cause if you do want to go for right. a gallery, you're going to pay that commission. Otherwise you're not going to mm-hmm. show there, or, you know, you're going to accept whatever terms they, they have. I, I, you know, in, in previous podcasts, I have said, you know, that the gallery, the gallery works for you. And and maybe this is my bad attitude coming through, but I, I, I do feel that you're hiring the representative to represent you. And so, you know, you have the majority stake. You, you know, you, you are the one directing that situation. Yes, the gallery has to accept you into their stable of artists, but, you know, you, you are the one calling the shots for the most part. And maybe that's mm-hmm. why consequently I never got to show with very many galleries because they're like, who are you? Get out of here. You know, <laughs> but yeah. um, now, you know, we're, we're, we're opening our own premises. So pretty soon we're going to have the, our own Tischler gallery. So screw oh, that's it. Awesome. Screw it. I'm doing my own thing. Congratulations. Um, look, let's, uh, I, you know, you're, you're somebody, you know, when I, when I watch your YouTube videos, I can tell, from what you're putting out there that you simply love to teach and you love sharing what you do with other people. If you don't, you've got a great way of hiding it because I, it just comes through, you know, in your delivery. I, I heard, you know, early on that those that can't teach, and it was certainly the case when it came to my high school teachers or university professors, I was like, what are you doing here? You know, if it was a high school, it's like, you hate children. Why are you teaching? You know, sometimes I I really, I really had, I really struggled with that so much. Um, But I I found myself like having that idea of those who can't teach. And so I never wanted to go into teaching. And then out of necessity, you know, I I started teaching live workshops, but then I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. And I found that it, it, it actually affected very positively my my studio work is having to enunciate these things and reframe them and teach it to somebody else. I found I was getting better. How have you found that whole process? Tell us about your relationship with teaching and maybe how it's made you develop more as an artist. Sure. Um, like you, my intention also was not to, to teach or be a teacher. Um, I, I was pretty nervous about that because I initially was kind of wondering, I mean, do I really have value to provide or can I really teach someone something? Maybe they're better off like Googling. (laughs) But I mean, as my YouTube channel grew and there were people who were interested in how I created my art and, you know, I got a lot of messages asking for help with certain things. And so I felt almost obligated to to try and create something to help, at least in the best way that I can. And I always try to emphasize that this is just my way of doing it. It's just how I do it based on the techniques that I've found or through experimenting or reading. This is just what works for me and how I like to do it. This is not the only or best way to do it. There's plenty of people and out there who, who do things differently and that might work better for you and that's okay. So I try to emphasize that it's really just my method and this is just one option to try. And so that's kind of how I approach my, my tutorials. I try to make them as simple as I can and really simplify things, um, in the way that I explain them because when it comes to the technical details and and all the terms, I really struggle to maintain interest. And I try to just simplify all that to make it easy to understand. Mm -hmm. Um, it it has helped me to understand my own process better and, and find the consistencies within it. Because originally I thought, Oh, I don't really use any techniques. Like I I'm just spontaneous with it. I paint intuitively. And although yes, that is true in many ways, there is a lot of consistency in my methods. And I sort of discovered that about my own work. And so that helped me then build on that further and develop more consistency and figure out ways to create work faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it definitely helped shape my, my methods over time. 
And I've demonstrated a few different ways to paint with oils on my channel. And again, it's always just, you know, my angle, this is how I'm doing it. You can try it out. This is just one painting, one idea, one mm. reference. Mm. There's so much information out there. So I always try to encourage people to also seek elsewhere and not just take my word um, as as the only one that's right, because that's definitely not the case. Well, I mean, that's awesome because it, it certainly does come through. There's a genuine exchange of ideas there or a genuine offering of your ideas and techniques. You said a couple of things there, though. And again, like I'm just getting these light bulb moments. Um, but I, I consistency is something that is so important to me. Uh, my work, I, I would engage in, and early on in my career, I'd engage in this thing that I called, you know, abortive work, where you spend days on something only to change it completely or throw it out and start again. Mm -hmm. And so you waste all of this time. And then looking through like the books, because um, most of what I had access to was textbooks, not really any original paintings. Looking at books, you know, with images of the old masters, I was seeing something that was consistent, which was this consistent excellence relating to every painting that I was seeing. Now, granted, they probably weren't going to paint, uh, print every constable painting in the textbook that they were showing as an example of constable's work. Maybe he had a few duds, but in my mind, I was looking at it going, this guy is consistently good. You know, every Albert Bierstadt that I've seen has been awesome. Like a Thomas Moran painting, whether it was a watercolor or an oil, awesome. And mm -hmm. I, I thought, well, they must have some sort of methodology or way in which they, they work. And that's what's inspired my own methodology in, in teaching that. I mean, and like you, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the, the only way or the right way necessarily. It's just your way of doing it. Um, right. But it's something that I recognize from my heroes. So did you, did you have any heroes or influences, maybe past or, or living masters um, that you can share with us? Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, it was definitely Bob Ross, just watching him create art on the TV and just a few brushstrokes and this magic would appear. That that was very intriguing for me. And that was the first time that I really w like gained an interest and wanted to try oils. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I would have been so interested in oils had it not been for him. Granted, my style is different and my subject matter isn't, and my technique isn't quite like his, but he sparked that interest in oils. Mm -hmm. um, later on, I found out about Ivan Avizovsky, which is a, uh, a Russian painter. Um, he painted seascapes and battlescapes in the late 1800s. Amazing, um, amazing Battleships and, and just, uh, yeah, I love mm -hmm. his work. I saw one of his paintings in person at an art show in Manhattan. And it was this, I think it was called the ninth wave. And oh, my mom, yeah, my mom, she remembered learning about it in textbooks in school. And so when we finally got to see that painting in person, I just stood there for <laughs> a very long time. And I, you know, walked up to various parts of the painting and I observed it up close and then would back away and just really soak in the work and look at all the brush strokes. And it was just so invigorating yeah. to, to see the work. So I would definitely say he's like one of my biggest inspirations. Mm. Um, and then Shishkin also, he paints forests ah. and I love, I Forget love about landscapes. It. I love Shishkin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, I had a whole book of his art and I was very inspired by that. So I guess those are top three, <laughs> just water and landscapes. I just love nature. Yeah. And so any artist that, that paints nature is inspiring. And your work as well, because you paint so many brilliant landscapes and, and paintings and offer so much advice to your YouTube followers and students. And there's a lot of value in that in your technique. And it's always fascinating to watch other artists, you know, how they create things and how they see the world and explain things. You know, it, it's it's interesting because when I, when I kind of – put myself out there originally online um, or even teaching for that matter, whether it was, you know, speaking to a group or teaching a workshop, I found that a, a lot of people that were older and, and, you know, retired or even just on, you know, literally in the, in the last years uh, of their life, they were the ones that were showing up to these workshops physically. Um, and I started recognizing this pattern and the pattern was, you know, these people had lived a full life. You know, they had raised children, they had worked jobs, they had had careers and adventures, trials, triumphs, all that sort of thing. And now that they're here kind of in their retirement years, 
they now finally have got the means and the access to be able to do something that they really love. My, my point there is, is that, and maybe, maybe you can, you can echo this or, or speak on it, but I, I think that questioning those, those set parameters that are laid down by society, because we are, our, our school system, our upbringing, our social structures are not designed in, in our favor if you're creative. However, at this day and age, there's never been a better time to be an artist because there's Absolutely. so many opportunities at the same time. So it's just a matter of getting that mental clutter and fog out of the way and just diving straight into it. So you're not one of those people at the end of your life finally doing something that you love. Right. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I mean, props to those people for realizing what they're passionate about and pursuing it regardless of what age they are. I don't think it's ever too late to pursue something you love and to learn something. I hope that I'm always going to be learning um, regardless of my age. That's really the goal. Absolutely. But no, absolutely. I, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, and, and even in my own school system here in, in the States, I, I never really felt like my creative endeavors were really catered to, or it wasn't something that was super encouraged on, not, I mean, for me individually, because I was always making art and people did respond positively to it, including my teachers. But the system itself does not cater to creative individuals. It doesn't really support people who want to pursue art as a living or any other creative endeavor. It's, you know, find something sensible. And yeah, it, it's tough because like I, I struggled for a while with that and coming to terms with that because I hated going to school, to be honest. I loved learning, but the way the system was set up, I did not fit in that mold. And I wanted to draw. I, I had a different way of learning. And not every teacher was interesting to me. And that's the other thing is like, why are you in school? Do you hate kids? If you, <laughs> if you aren't passionate about something, why are you there? And that's the thing is people go into work to pay their bills. And I understand the necessity for that. And mm -hmm. some people are more content with that than others. I, for example, don't think I could have been able to live that life and be happy overall. If I had to go into a career that I'm not really passionate about, I'm a very all or nothing kind of person. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I, I felt like that I had no choice but to just throw myself wholeheartedly into this. Like I was completely fine with not making a, a very big income bartending or serving as long as I had the time to make my art, as long as I could support myself somehow, but still have time to make my art. I was, I was content with that. Thankfully it ended up working out for me, but you know, I, I think regardless of what career path you choose, if there is something that you really enjoy, whether it's creative or not, if there's something you really love to do, it's so important to make time for that. First of all, you never know where it can go. Like for me, it ended up becoming my full-time job, but you never know what opportunities it can lead you to or what learning experience or what people you can meet. And maybe they can teach you something or you make a lifelong friend. I think there's just so much opportunity out there um, if, if you don't forget about what you're passionate about, it's like, we all grow up. I mean, not me, I'm never going to grow up, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, we grow up in society and we're put in that mold, like, okay, now you're, you're a busy bee. You, you were an adult. You got to go get married and get, and have kids and, and live and work your job and do the thing. But people just forget, they kind of lose themselves in that. And, I think life can be very mundane if, if all you do is just work and then come home and relax from that. You know, there's so much more to life than just working hmm. for somebody else's dream. There, there's going to be some young people out there or people that are just wanting to to launch themselves into the, this career. So in, in a snapshot, if, if you can, if there was advice, maybe advice that you could give to your younger self, you know, maybe sit yourself down as a 10 year old and say, listen, Lena, this is what you got to do. What, what would that advice be if you if you just had a moment to share it with somebody? Yeah. Well, 
I mean, just speaking purely from my own perspective and, and what I experienced, um, I would advise that people continue to make art and focus on that. I didn't realize how important it is to create art on a consistent basis and not necessarily only when I'm inspired because, you know, that that might happen once a month if, or even less. I've had comments, people saying, wow, I haven't painted in two years and you know, I watched your video and I wanted to paint or I've been looking for videos and I, I found so many artists and I'm inspired to paint. And so, and to me, I've been there, you know, I've gone through large periods of time uh, before doing this full time where I would not paint anything for eight months, <laughs> you know, that is insane to me to imagine now. And I, to think how much time I lost and how much I could have improved in that time span, you know, the art that I could have created, whether it was good or bad, it's still a learning experience. So I think the most important advice I could give is just to always create art regardless of what anybody says about it. Um, learn to kind of take everything with a grain of salt and know that, your art is important and it's unique because you created it and you will learn and grow as you create more art. You can't expect every single painting to be a perfect, brilliant masterpiece. You know, you, it's always a learning process. You're going to have some paintings that you're not as happy with. You're going to have some paintings that you want to throw in the trash before you're even halfway done. And <laughs> you just got to power through it and make as much art as you can um, and focus on the art that you're interested in. So that, that's probably what I would tell myself because I, I used to get distracted and kind of forget how passionate I really was about this. And I would go months on end without making something because I had, you know, a door slammed in my face or somebody said something mean that really hurt my feelings. And I, it was like a, a way of self punishing just to not make art like, Oh yeah, well, I'm such a bad artist. I'm not going to make art anymore that's such a, a horrible thing you can do to yourself because you're only ultimately just hurting yourself. So make art regardless of what anybody says and just focus on bettering yourself and exploring new subject matter and challenging yourself as an artist and just really building a body of work, like create a lot of work <laughs> as much as you possibly can. Mm. That's really what, you know, a business I think would sustain off of. I, I don't think my business would be possible had I not made work, <laughs> if that makes any sense. You know, it's the focal point of my, my YouTube channel is my paintings. So I always have to be making new paintings. Um, and even if I wasn't, even if I didn't have a YouTube channel or an audience or whatever, I would, I would still be doing this. And I, and I was even before it was a job. I don't do this for money, even though this is my, my income. I, I paint because I love to, and it's what I've always enjoyed doing. So hmm. if that's something you love to do, absolutely focus on your art and really focus on bettering yourself as an artist and growing and creating a lot of paintings. Lena, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It has been fantastic just having the opportunity to talk with you and thank you for sharing your story with me. Um, where can people find some more of your work? Well, thank you so much for having me. It has been a pleasure. And um, people can find me just by typing in my name on any social media network like Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. It's Lena Dania, L-E-N-A-D-A-N-Y-A. And my website, lenadania.com. Well, I sincerely hope that you have enjoyed this episode of The Creative Endeavor as much as I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And a big thank you to Lena Dania for joining me. Now, as you just heard, you can find more of Lena's work on her website at www.lenadanya.com. She can also be found on Instagram at Lena Danya. And again, that's D-A-N-Y-A. Now, if you enjoyed this episode of The Creative Endeavor, then why don't you take a minute and let me know by rating and leaving a review for this podcast on whatever audio platform you're listening on. I would really appreciate it. It makes the podcast a little more discoverable and makes these stories easier to find from people who want to take their creative passion just that little bit further. Now, of course, you can find out more about me on my website at www.andrewtischler.com. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe. It's free to do so. Simply hit that subscribe tab into your name and email address, and I'm in touch with my subscribers regularly. Well, I have really enjoyed spending this time with you here again, and I look forward to being with you again very, very soon with another edition of The Creative Endeavor.